This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. If the magic number of 54 letters of no confidence is hit, what happens next? How do no confidence vote work and what are the dynamics we expect to see at play? To discuss that, I'm joined by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson. James, to begin, talk us through what happens if 54 letters goes in. Does Graham Brady come out of his office and give an announcement? What scenes can we expect to see? So if 54 letters are reached, Graham Brady, Chairman 922 Committee, will announce that they've been reached and that there will be a no-confidence ballot of Tory MPs. Will he do that on TV or will he step outside his office? Or... Gates of Parliament? Um, yeah. I suspect, you know, um, tweets or... Gate or uh, yeah, an Instagram Twitter-style um, uh, <laughs> politician. But then the timing of this, there aren't firm rules about. Theresa May wanted a very quick contest, so that took place within 24 hours of the letters being reached. They were voting the next day in her no-confidence ballot. It's up to the Prime Minister. I think it is up to a negotiation between the Prime Minister and the 1922 Committee. I think there is an interesting debate about which one Boris Johnson's circle will want. Some of Boris Johnson's supporters are kind of very up for it. Some of them take the view that we'll bloody smash them. And so they are quite keen to get on with it. And they think you end the destabilisation, you go fast, you go hard. Other people think that, you know, he should argue for more time because he is quite effective at appealing for MP sympathy. And his argument essentially would be, you know, you are judging me before this investigation is concluded, before the report is out. You know, that is not fair. Once you get to the vote, whatever time frame that is, you need a simple majority of, of one to win. But if you were to lose, and this is a kind of crucial point, you can't stand in the subsequent leadership contest. And so I think it's also worth noting that, you know, even though you notionally need a majority of one to win, as Theresa May found, you know, she, she had about a third of her parliamentary party vote against her. And even though the rules said she would be safe from challenge for more than a year, she was gone within the year. Because I think that having had that number of people against you advertised, it, it's very difficult. So Boris Johnson would technically only need to win by one vote, but I think realistically would need to win by more than that to be secure in his position. Fraser, who in history has come back from a no-confidence vote stronger? You might argue that John Major dealt with it reasonably well by having a back-me-or-sack-me kind of election in which he demonstrated he was quite e- he easily crushed the Redwoodites. Of course, the John Major story didn't end well. And in fact, the attempt on him was, it was a sign, it's always a sign, of usually a fatally wounded premiership. The, the Tories were very, very lucky in 2019 to replace the memory of a feuding bunch of sociopaths who couldn't agree over Brexit and almost sank the country. That, that was supplanted by this idea of Boris Johnson's mission to get Brexit done. And I think a lot of people were just amazed how the Conservatives got away so lightly with their collective meltdown. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like the Tories are getting back to their regicidal, feuding, self-obsessed selves. And that is why I think that the actual process of deposing a leader is so inherently damaging to a party because it exposes the worst aspects of that party to the world. And they were going to... I mean, Tories love fighting and they will fight each other. And uh, the whole leadership process, even if Boris Johnson were to win the No Confidence motion, the world would still see a party so exposed, so faction-ridden, that it would have made a failed attempt to depose its own leader. And a lot of people would think, well... 
if almost a third of a Tory party have got no confidence in a Tory Prime Minister, why should I, your average voter, have any more confidence? James, it's a secret ballot. So we know there's a shadow ripping operation in the case of Boris Johnson, which is trying to you know, work out support, track letters, but also prepare in the instance that there is a no confidence vote. But how reliable is that data going to be if MPs really think they can get away with it and not have any feedback? As one member of the government payroll said to me the other day, we're getting to the point where it's very hard to read the parliamentary party because we're almost at the stage where everyone is lying to everybody else. And, you know, the joke about the the Tory party is that it's the most sophisticated electorate in the world, which some people would say is a a synonym for devious. You know, indeed, there's been a tradition in Tory leadership contests that the chief whips of the various campaigns gather for dinner at the end of it and then compare notes on who they thought was on their side so they can work out who had pledged their support to to more than one campaign at the same time. I would be suspicious of the quality of information that anyone can gather at this point. For example, there is a WhatsApp group of people who are supporting Boris Johnson. You know, these are meant to be people who are trusted enough to kind of feedback intelligence on what other colleagues it's are thinking. It's leak, hasn't it? Yeah, group. and also there are undoubtedly members of that group who would vote against Boris Johnson in a contest. Yeah, I mean, so, I've been told on that group there are several who have submitted letters of no confidence but have still what, made what it onto... spy on the others. Uh, but they've made it on the, onto the supporter group despite this. Yeah, so I, I just, I think, I think anyone who tells you that they know, other than Graham Brady tells me, you know, the precise number of letters, precisely how a no confidence vote is going, you know, you just can't. There is just, you know, just the fog of war makes it so difficult to be completely certain of this. You know, indeed, this is one of those situations where, and I wouldn't encourage anyone to do this because it would be illegal, signals intelligence would probably be far preferable to human intelligence. And Fraser, I suppose we're looking at what happens if a confidence vote is called. What would you expect the cabinet to do? Say it happened, you know, in the next week or so. Do you think they would keep their powder dry? Or do you think we could see perhaps someone deciding it's their moment to speak out and say Boris should go? Well, remember, disloyalty is never a good look in politics. I mean, um, Boris Johnson, of course, walked out of Theresa May's cabinet. Um, Jacob Rees-Mogg was a major player in the failed attempt to get rid of Theresa May. So sometimes it can work out for you in the long run, but not always. I imagine the vast majority of the cabinet would pledge loyalty to Boris Johnson. But if you listen to what we're hearing right now, is usually loyalty, but with a caveat. Like Sasha Javid saying, I'm loyal to Boris, but I'm very pleased that he said what he said. In other words, he, he was wrong and he was right to correct himself. Or Rishi Sunak saying, to be honest, I wouldn't have repeated what Boris said about Keir Starmer. So I think we can expect lots of the, other than Nadine Dorries, I think we can expect a deficit of cabinet members giving full-throated support. But the other thing is, there's only so many times you can rat in politics. Churchill famously ratted, then re-ratted. People like him can get away with it. But a lot of people around Boris are those who did the dirty on Theresa May. Now, they will, a lot of them will feel as if they can't really do the dirty on Boris as well, otherwise they just look like like completely devious, untrustworthy Tories who just eventually knife any leader after a couple of years. So I would think that he will be protected from cabinet assassins. How the cabinet would vote in the leadership election, of course, is something I wouldn't like to predict. But I would be surprised if there is a mass anti-Boris rebellion in a cabinet chosen primarily for their loyalty to Boris Johnson. And James, as those around Boris Johnson try to work out how best to shore up his support, as you touched on, it does feel as though there's an air of confidence they will win that vote. Do you think they'll be looking at any examples of previous votes on what to do? Uh, You mentioned the Theresa May vote was immediately after. Yeah, I mean, so the question is whether they choose to move rapidly or not. And it's also worth this. The Theresa May 
whipping operation, which was run by Gavin Williamson, kind of came back to, to do it. And, and I think there is a general view that it, that it was pretty good and that it had the numbers right. They crucially think that only one member of the government payroll voted against them in that confidence vote. So I think that a lot of the challenge for shadow whipping operation will be to keep the payroll, so that's everyone from PPSs up, you know, on side and voting for Boris Johnson. I think that will be a challenge. There's already reports today in the Times of various ministers being on on kind of resignation watch. And then I think the other thing that they will need to do is they will need to persuade Tory MPs that this can bring an end to it. If you see, I mean, I think lots of Tory MPs want this to go away, and so I think that that will be the two big challenges for them. I think. Fraser, what's your prediction if we end up with a confidence vote in the coming weeks or months? Do you think Boris Johnson will win it? I think he'll win it, but he might not win it with a convincing enough majority that he needs to stay. And I guess a lot of it depends right now on whether Rishi Sunak and Liz Trust feel ready to get their campaign campaign aircraft on the runway. Right now, they're, both of those aircraft are in the hangars. I imagine anybody thinking about leadership would rather wait until after the May election, have a leadership election during the summer, and have a new leader in place by Tory conference in October. That's the ideal timetable, but events might move a bit more quickly than that. And when they go, I think Richie Sunak is looking a bit more ready now than he looked two or three weeks ago. I wouldn't say Liz Truss looks particularly ready. If she is assembling a team, it's not one visible to any of the people that I've spoken to. I mean, sure, she's got her, her fan base. She's also got her detractors. I was, I'm quite struck now by the amount of anti-Truss chat I'm picking up from Tory MPs. The basic line against her seems to be that she is a, an ex-Lib Dem Remainer, so why would you trust her with a Conservative Party? So, so you can see, usually Tory leadership races are defined by a frontrunner versus anybody but the frontrunner. So the kind of anti-force is very, very strong, and they'll choose somebody. Say Liz Truss is a frontrunner, then you'll get a lot of people thinking, OK, anybody but Liz Truss. That anybody might be Rishi Sunak, it might be somebody else. If Rishi Sunak is a frontrunner, then you'll have a whole bunch of people thinking that Sunak's a villain, and they'll try to get anybody, perhaps Ben Wallace, to rally behind him. And these candidates quite often win. I mean, Ian Duncan Smith was there to to stop Michael Bertillo winning. I mean, at one point, David Cameron was there to stop David Davis winning. David Davis was to be seen as an overwhelming favourite. John Major was there to stop Michael Heseltine winning. So the winners of these Tory leadership elections are not always the most charismatic, the most obvious leaders. There's somebody who a whole bunch of people who don't want the front runner to win will pluck from obscurity and promote very very difficult things to predict Tory leadership Tory leadership races. races are steeplechases not flat races yeah I'll use a trashier analogy that quite often there can be Tarantino standoffs and that the last person not shot is the one who walks in the number 10's door Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. And while we have you here, do check out Spectator TV this week where I speak to Michael Portillo, a man who knows plenty when it comes to manoeuvres and Tory leadership elections. (laughs) 